0: We've been in a series on work and trying to understand what God is doing in our, in our jobs and the things that we do and the uh, work that uh, often occupies a big part of our week. And to do that, we've been looking at a number of scriptures together. We've been seeing what the Bible teaches. I've been doing uh, a lot of uh, reading and, and trying to get my head around uh, what, what some of the, the issues are and how the, how the Bible tackles them. And in the course of that, I came across a a, a story of an African Christian leader who, uh, in my mind, really captured uh, something significant about work that I'd like to talk with you about today. It's in the book Pursuing Justice by Ken Wistma. And he tells the story uh, of a a friend of his who was, uh, for the last 15 years, helping some of the most vulnerable people in the world. Uh, serving in one of the most dangerous places in the world, in eastern Congo. Uh, He was born and raised there and uh, continues to to serve despite all of the upheaval, despite all of the difficulty. Uh, He writes that his life is regularly threatened. He faces uh, the seemingly impossible task of uh, trying to restore villages that have been decimated by rape, by murder, by war, and all that goes along with that. At one point, uh, there were were the executives of a large Christian organization that were uh, coming through the area, and they saw what incredible work that uh, this this, uh, Congolese leader was doing. And they offered him the position to oversee their entire operations for uh, not just a little region of Congo, but of the entire uh, country. He quickly refused the position. And it was surprising at first because it was a job that would have afforded him more money, more security, more influence. It was a uh, 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 far-ranging responsibilities over an entire country. But he refused for this reason. He said, God gave me the job I have. He's helped me build the relationships and the respect that I have. He's opened the door for me all these years kept me safe on every trip out into the bush. I'm right where God has called me to be, so why would I go anywhere else? I don't just want to do good, I want to be where God wants me to be. His story stands out to me because he possesses a level of confidence and conviction and purpose about his job that I don't think a lot of people have. It wouldn't have been evil for him to take the promotion and take this job. It's not like that was bad, this is good, and, and it, it's not a question of that. It's really what stands out to me is his level of certainty and conviction that this is where God wants me to, to be. This is what God has called me to be. And so the question I'm asking this morning is, how do you get that? Where does that come from? Uh, How do we find it? How how do we find our calling? How do do you find your calling? How do we know what God wants us to do? The reason that I stumbled upon that question was because before we started this series on work, I asked you some questions. I surveyed us as a congregation and and said, hey, we're going to be doing some, some thinking and some studying on work, I need to help. I need to understand what, what you're thinking and what some of the questions that you had. And so while I asked a number of questions, the last question that I asked was, what are the questions that you're bringing, that you have of the Bible in this area of work? And the number one question that came in a whole bunch of different forms was, how can I find my calling? Uh, different people stated in different ways. Uh, how do I know the work that I have comes from God? Does it matter where I work? Uh, How do people find the work that's right for them? What does the Bible teach about vocation? This wasn't really on my radar, and it wasn't really a topic that I was going to be covering in my series, but because it was very clear, this is something that's on your mind as you think about work, uh, I thought it was important that we go to the scriptures and look for answers. But before we get into the scripture, I think we need to clarify terms. Uh, the word vocation uh, is, it comes from the Latin word vocare, just meaning calling. So when we say vocation or calling, we're talking about the same thing, a sense that God has called me to do whatever it is that I'm doing. Uh, so it, it, it just has that general sense of, of calling. And I want to see and look together with you in the scriptures, where does that idea come from and what does it uh, to teach us about how we can view our, our, our jobs. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we'll look at verses 7, uh, 17 to 24 together. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 24. It's part of a letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth early in his ministry, and it says this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, And to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition he each was called, there let him remain with God. This is the word of God. <sighs> As I'm reading through there, were all of your questions about calling and vocation uh, effectively answered? Does that spell things out for you? Probably not. There were—he's getting into circumcision and uncircumcision and bond servants and a lot of stuff going on there—and uh, yet this passage has been used to transform people's understanding uh, of work and God's place in it. This passage was one of the key passages in the Protestant Reformation that blew apart people's understanding of work. Up until that discovery, people would, when you would use the word vocation or calling, they would say, oh yeah, that's that thing that the priest does. They, they are called to, uh, to, to ministry, but everybody else just, they, they get a vocation, everybody else just gets a job. And it was a rediscovery of this passage and related uh, teachings that, that helped people to, to, to really lay hold of what, uh, what God intends for our work. First thing this passage teaches us is you've probably already found your calling. That God has been often, far more than we realize, involved in the circumstances and the details of who we are, and, exact, and, in, and in fact, what we are doing when we come to Christ. And it's his intention to use those uh, as part of his uh, kingdom plan and kingdom assignments. So you've probably already found your calling, but didn't realize it. Before we get into the text, it's important that we, we kind of get a sense of what some of the background was that was happening at this time. I mentioned that this was a letter that was written by Paul to a church in Corinth, early in his ministry, early in the life of a church. And what was happening was they had come to put their faith in Christ, and they thought everything was, like, brand new. They saw their lives with new eyes, as, as many people will testify to. But they saw their lives as so new that people were married were saying, I need a new husband. And they were kind of walking out, walking out on marriages. And, and people that were in jobs were saying, I need a new job like that. That might have been okay for me when I wasn't a, a Christian, but now I need a different job. And then you get in later in the book, and they're actually like changing their hairstyles and their appearance and, and, and how they're dressing and like everything they are, they are trying to make brand new now that they're Christians. And Paul said, wait a second. You, you, need, to, you need to slow down, back up, and let's uh, look at this and, look and try and understand um, God's purpose in this. You get to verse 17, Paul gives the overarching principle. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. You notice there are two words used there, God's assignment and God's calling. Uh, The first word, assignment, uh, is where he says the life that the Lord has assigned to us. It's literally a portion to us. It's the word that they use in the Old Testament when, it, when he wants to talk about uh, the Israelites going into the promised land and everyone getting a portion. That's, that's the, the verb that gets used here. He gave every one of us a portion or an assignment. He's given us something. We don't all have the same, the same portion. We don't all have the same um, assignment, but God has given each of us as believers uh, an assignment. The idea is that God has placed you where you are as an assignment, as your mission field. The second word is calling. God has called us or drawn us in to the jobs that we now find ourselves in. The Corinthians were thinking that because they're Christians, now they needed to rethink, okay, what kind of job should I be in? What, where should I go? I, I need to do something completely different. And Paul makes it clear God had already placed them in the jobs that he had assigned to them. That was their portion. That he was thinking of them and what they were doing even before they had started thinking about him and what purposes he might have for them. The idea here is, if say you're a uh, a bus driver and you come and you put your faith in Christ, God's not thinking, um, like I, uh, I don't, I don't think I really need any more Christian bus drivers. Um, either, either you'll need to get a different job, or I'll, you'll just have to put your faith on the shelf for 40, 50 hours a week, and uh, and and maybe volunteer in the in the Sunday school. That's not how God thinks, and that's not how we should think. The idea is that God has planned and purposed and, and been guiding in all of the circumstances in, of your life, when you come to faith in Christ, all of those plans and purposes that God has been working on all of this time aren't thrown out, that they are actually a part of God's assignment. And so God brings you to Christ because he wants more representation on the on the bus. With, in front of the, the, the school kids or the, the people using the transportation system or whatever setting you've, you find yourself in. God brought you to faith in Christ because he wants his name to be represented there. He wants a Christian bus driver, a Christian mechanic, a Christian uh, whatever you find your, yourself in. Now, if you're working in a brothel and you come to faith in Christ, that's a different story, okay? Okay. That, that maybe doesn't apply. You maybe need to do a few more, give a little bit more thought to uh, what your assignment and calling might be. Um, but uh, the general principle here is God has assigned you uh, and br- given you a calling, and wh- where you find yourself is not an accident. It's not uh, a, a random thing. There's God's uh, purpose and, de- and deliberation in it. In verse 18, you may get the impression, oh, this is kind of going in a totally different area now, but I want to show you that it's not. Paul applies that principle from verse 17 to circumcision. And it's a little bit different from the argument of circumcision that we saw going on when we looked at the letter to the Galatians. Um, There are two things that were going on here. Some Jewish people in the first century were covering up their circumcision in order to make a better go of life in Gentile society. I'm not going to get into all of the graphic details of how they actually did this, but suffice it to say, you could not completely undo your circumcision, but kind of cover it up a little bit, okay? That's all I'm going to say. Um, but that was important because it, if, if you were in a society where... Um, where public bathing was kind of a big thing. And uh, if you were an athlete of any kind, you, did, you, you exercised and trained without clothes. Um, circumcision or lack of circumcision was, was quite a noticeable thing. And if you wanted to make it in the Gentile world, sometimes you wanted to kind of cover that thing up. That was something. The other thing that was happening is that there were then Gentiles who had come to faith in Christ. And they were reading the Old Testament. They were thinking... Maybe I could be closer to God, or maybe I could be closer to God's people if I got a circumcision. And and so they were going through that kind of thinking, and Paul says to both groups of people, don't do that. That's not your calling. That's not the condition to which you were called. In fact, if all of the Gentile Christians now start acting like and looking like and Adopting all of the practices of the Jewish people, all the Gentile people that God has assigned those new uh, Christians to, they're going to think they're really strange. The the, the Gentiles around them are going to think, "Boy, what what happened to Bill? Like he's just totally gone overboard. is is gone to a He's like he's gone to a different culture now." And all of the all, all of the Jewish people now who start trying to act Gentile and and start adopting their customs and covering up their Jewishness. Now, the Jewish people that God wanted to represent his good news and his hope towards, now they're thinking, boy, this guy is awfully strange. What's he, what, what is he up to? What is he thinking? Now, none of you I probably has never crossed your mind to do either of those two things, and yet I see this principle happening all the time. I see Christians doing things like this very frequently. So um, I did this as a new Christian. I I went through a phase, and I still haven't completely understood it. I went through a phase where I started dressing kind of like a Mormon missionary. And now I've got a name tag and a white shirt with dark pants on today. That's completely um, uh, coincidental. But I, I I went through a period where It was just unnatural, and I I was trying to look, and I thought, oh, I'm a Christian now. I'm supposed to look like this. And it was unnatural and strange, and it actually cut me off from the assignment that I think that God had for me as a new believer in Christ. It it also means that if you've come and you put your faith in Christ, and you've got a big Harley Davidson tattoo like over half the, the side of your face, you don't need to get that taken off. That's part of your assignment. It's actually part of your calling. Now, if uh, you are uh, you go to an, an evangelistic event and the, the evangelist has a big Harley Davidson tattoo on the side of his face, you hear the gospel, put your faith in Christ, you don't need to go and run out and get a Harley Davidson tattoo on the side of your face. That would look silly on you. That's, not, that's his assignment. It's not your assignment. His calling is not yours. And if we confuse what it is that God has called us to do and we start imitating other people because we think, oh, now that I'm a Christian, I've got to look like them or act like them or talk like them, then we start doing strange things and actually turn our backs on the calling and the assignment that is God, God has given to each of us. So God has... Given us uh, each an assignment, he's positioned us for impact, and we need to have a, a recognition of that and understanding of that. Sometimes people will put their faith in Jesus Christ and they'll look at their jobs and they'll say, I need to have a more Christian job now. This was fine for me before I knew Jesus, but now that I put my faith in Jesus, I couldn't possibly do this job. I couldn't possibly work with people who swear. I couldn't possibly work in a in a company where it just seems like they're they're always concerned about the prophets. I, I can't do this. I'm 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 a Christian now. And and it, it, it's interesting to me there there was a point in Jesus' ministry when somebody actually approached him and, and tried to work through this with him. Um, many of you are aware of the time when Jesus heals a, a man who is possessed by demons sends those, casts those demons out of the man into this herd of pigs. They go over the side of the, pit, side of the cliff and the owner of those pigs is saying, boy, you've just ruined my whole uh, livelihood here. They kick Jesus out and uh, want nothing to do with him. Interestingly, at that point, the man who had been demon-possessed and healed, he wants to get in the boat with Jesus. And he's thinking... I, if I get in the boat with Jesus, turn my back on on everything I've I've been a part of now, I'll be able to hear lots of his sermons. I'll be able to have fellowship with Christian all those all those disciples. I'll be able to hang out with them all the time. That'll be amazing. And he thinks that now that I'm a Christian, that's what I should be doing. And just as he's about to get into the boat and find out like which. Which uh, what responsibility should I have on the on the boat here? Jesus says, uh, "You're not coming with us." In fact, he sends him back 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 to where he came from, refuses to let him get on board the boat, and he says, "Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you." He sends him back with the understanding. This man who has been healed by Jesus can now reach people that Jesus Christ couldn't even reach. Jesus Christ couldn't even get a hearing in this particular region, the Decapolis area. And yet this man, as he goes and returns to his calling, to his assignment, he will be able to have an impact that even Jesus couldn't have in that region. And again, the understanding is, when we come to faith in Christ, God has an assignment for us. He has put us in a place where there's he wants some more representation. He wants another voice, another another life witness to his power and his grace. And so, in this situation, just huddling with some other Christians can be a temptation instead of a calling. And we can we can confuse the two when we when we don't understand that. So the first thing that we've learned is you've probably already found your calling and you might just not have realized it. God prepared your job and your circumstances for you to represent him, and to make an impact. The next thing I want you to see though is that the scriptures warn us not to let a pursuit of status interfere with our pursuit of calling. And this is where our faith in Christ can get uh, in, in the way or can reroute our career path and our ca- career plan. Faith in Christ ought to transform the values with which we approach our job and that may mean uh, some changes in the, in the path that we had before us. So don't let a pursuit of status inter- interfere with your pursuit of calling. I say that because of verse 21. Notice what it says in verse 21. Were you a bond servant when called? Do not be concerned about it. Now, your tra- depending on what version of the Bible you have, you might have slave, you might have servant, you might have bondservant. Um, the, the word that's being used, the reason that in the ESV the word bondservant is used instead of slave is to help to, to distinguish that the, the average slave in the first in first century Rome is different than what we typically think of when we use the word slave. When we hear, use the word slave, our mind immediately goes to the uh, cruel and racist treatment of Africans, African slaves uh, that we know from our more recent history. But Roman slavery was something different than that. Uh, at its height, one-third of the entire population of, of Rome, uh, of the Roman Empire, was made up of slaves. Uh, slaves were often well educated. They had a wide, they had wide ranging uh, responsibilities. It wasn't reserved for any particular ethnicity. It was across the board. It was a way that people often uh, got out of debt, got into higher, uh, higher, higher status, higher income, uh, and often at, at at the end of seven years, slaves would be set free. And they would become they would gain certain privileges and status uh, as a result of having earned that freedom, but even still, Roman culture was all about glory and honor it was about uh, seeking something great and so if you were a slave, uh, you wanted to achieve greater honor you wanted to climb the ladder and so uh uh, most sl- sl- slaves were working to buy their freedom and earn the status of a free, free person. What Paul says here is, Christians aren't concerned about those things anymore. Christians don't find their status in their careers anymore. Christians aren't trying to climb the ladder so that they can get glory because Christians have learned to find their worth and their significance and their sense of identity in their relationship with Jesus Christ, not in anything that this world would give us. Now our status before Christ trumps our status in the world. That's why he says in verse 22, "...he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when he is called is a bondservant of Christ." So Jesus raises the status of those whom the world looks down on and those whom the world holds up and puts on a pedestal, God brings down and gives some reality and perspective to. If you struggle that you're not getting enough honor and approval from the world, the Bible would say that wasn't where you were supposed to get it from in the first place. If you're looking to a job or a career to make you feel like you're worthy and that you're uh, enough of a, uh, of, a, of a person or a significant, making a significant enough impact, the Bible says that's not where you're supposed to find your significance. We find those things in Christ. We remember that Jesus has set us free, that he's called us as his children, that we serve the king, that we have a status in him, in Christ, with great privilege and, 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 and great honor. At the same time, if you have a job that gives you all lots of this world's honor, verse 22 would warn you not to let it go to your head. If you're walking in, like many in Roman society would be, they were wealthy patrons with, with uh, lots of status and honor in society, they don't get to waltz into the kingdom and think that they're going to be calling the shots there. That The idea is that, uh, as it says in verse 22, it doesn't matter how great your status, you have now been made a slave of Christ. Now we have been brought in under submission to him, and we serve him as, uh, as our master. So if the world's status doesn't mean anything to a Christian anymore, anything anymore, it would be crazy for any of us to become enslaved by uh, killing ourselves for more recognition. And this was another temptation to the Corinthians and to anyone in first century Rome. What you would do, you could actually be a free person. And you didn't have to be destitute or even in terrible debt, but you would willingly uh, sell yourself as a slave. You would do that for two reasons. When you got into slavery, you would have have a, a... a stable means of income, and you would be able to 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 save that up. But when you were released, typically after seven years, you would be released with two things. With Roman citizenship and connection with a wealthy and influential patron. So if you entered into slavery because, hey, I don't have any connections, I don't really know people in power, I'm not a Roman citizen, and I kind of want to climb the ladder and I think those things are kind of be important for me to to get ahead. And so you would enter into slavery and you'd come out after 7 years and you'd have all of that stuff. Paul says, don't do it. That's not your assignment because that's not why a Christian pursues a particular job. That's not where a Christian is to find their sense of worth and identity and calling. We're not looking for it in the world or in the world system. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. And so it forces us to ask the question, are we putting in the long hours out of faithfulness to God or because we're trying to get ahead and trying to, trying to get the, the honor and the recognition that the world would hold out? Are we looking for more money, another promotion, more, more status, more applause? Don't let your pursuit of status in this world interfere with your pursuit of calling. Christians don't find our value or identity in what we do. It's not what we're about. So we're trying to find our calling. And we said we're, we're, we've probably already found our calling and didn't realize it. We've determined not to let a pursuit of status interfere with our pursuit of calling. And we're thinking, okay, I kind of get what I think the Bible is teaching here. And then God throws a little wrench in it. And so the last thing that we're going to look at is, is being open to God, giving you a new calling. Because God does redirect us. He does uh, change the, the direction. And, 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 and so the warning is not to be too comfortable. God may have a new assignment for us. I say that because of verse 21. Despite all that our passage has been saying this morning about staying where God has called you, it's not an absolute rule. Neither changing jobs nor getting ahead is wrong in itself. We learn that in verse 21 where Paul asks, Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. What he's saying is there's no shame in being a slave. There's no shame in your status in this world because Christians aren't concerned about our status in this world. But then he also says if you do get an opportunity for freedom, you take it. So changing jobs isn't wrong. Uh, Climbing uh, uh, or or just getting ahead in itself isn't wrong. The problem's with our motivation. Why are we doing it? What is it costing us? Who's it really for? What are we hoping that it'll mean? What are we thinking is going to happen? In the Old Testament, Joseph is an excellent example of someone who, in prison, as a prisoner, could serve God and glorify him and find God's blessing and help and joy. But then when he was offered a position as prime minister over all of Egypt, he could glorify God and and find joy and God's blessing in that position as well. It doesn't matter where God assigns us, what place God leads us to, what calling he places on our lives. It does matter what we will sacrifice to get there, what our motivation is, what we're hoping it will accomplish for us. The, the 12 apostles, again, are another example of that. Uh, you, you see in Mark one seventeen, Jesus finds... Uh, uh, Simon and Andrew on the, sh- on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. For them, that, that was a new assignment. That was a call to put down their nets, their, their fishing career. Presumably they were good at it and they enjoyed it. And Jesus said, now you will be fishers of men. I will make you my full-time evangelists. And, and they, they served with him in that, uh, in that capacity. When they did so, they went not from no calling to calling. They went from one calling to another calling. They could easily and equally glorify God as fishermen as they could as Jesus' apostles. I say that their new calling wasn't any more, any, any more profound or special or set apart than, than their calling to being fishermen because all through Scripture you have people that are called to a variety of assignments. We've already seen this series that God called Adam and, Ad, Adam and Eve to be farmers, to be gardeners. Uh, Noah was called to build a boat. Abraham was called to travel to a foreign land. David was called to be a king. Nehemiah was called to build a wall. And if any one of them had said, yeah, yeah, but I want to I want a real calling. I think that being a prophet would be more spiritual. I think if I was a priest, that would kind of set me up, kind of above. That would be a like a super calling. If any one of them had chosen that, they would have turned their backs in disobedience on God, and on His assignment. And so you can actually end up doing something that that some Christians would say, oh, that's a more spiritual calling. You can actually be disobeying God to take that on. Everything's level at the cross. All of our callings are equal in God's sight. It's, It's a matter of faithfulness to him. It's a matter not of what we do, but who we do it for. He's the one that calls. He makes the assignments, and we can glorify in whatever position that he has called us to. I wonder if you've heard of Bezalel. He's a guy who shows up in Exodus 31:3 and he's one of the few people in the entire Old Testament that were expressly told he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what it says about him. I have filled him with the spirit of God with ability and intelligence with knowledge. And you're thinking boy, this is a big shot in God's program. This guy is something special. He's, he's I don't know, he, he's got to be like a, a super prophet or like something really special. And then you continue re- reading and you realize God has given him all of this so that he could carve wood and work with silver and gold to make some artifacts for the temple. Bezalel teaches me that it's no more spiritual to be an artisan than it is to be a prophet. That the question is God's assignment. What has God called us to? What has God prepared us to? He shows me that God gives people a variety of different assignments. And none is more spiritual than the other. He also shows me that a new assignment is probably has something to do with what God has been preparing us for in the past. Often rooted in the way God has designed us. I I think Bezalel could tell very early in his life that God had given him a unique artistic ability. And so when Solomon announced, hey, we're going to build a temple, he didn't say, hey, maybe I'll volunteer as a bricklayer. No, he's like, I'm kind of an artistic guy. That's what God's been doing all my life. I think if God calls me to something, it's probably going to be in in those areas. And so if you're kind of just trying to figure out, I don't know what God's called me to. Just nothing's clear right now. Probably you need to start with who he's created you to be. What has he blessed you with? Where has he used you? What are you good at? What do you love to do? You look at your natural, natural abilities. You look at at passages like Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 that describe spiritual gifts. You start where you are, but it's with a, an openness to God giving you a new assignment, to God redirecting. And possibly, like Bezalel, to using your skills and your experience and your abilities to in the service of God somewhere. So what we're saying this morning is vocation is... Not this special thing that only a few people get to get in on. It's work that fits you, helps others, and glorifies God. And probably most of you have already found it. You didn't realize it. And it's important that you do realize it, because if you don't recognize that what what God has led you to, the circumstances, the job, the, the work, whatever it is... God has led. If you don't recognize that God has given you that, then you can check out from your faith for 40, 50 hours a week thinking, well, God doesn't have any purpose here. And what the scriptures would call us to do instead is to say, no, this is what God has called me to. And so now I'm asking questions about, well, what does he want me to do here? How can I, how can I represent him here? How can I reflect God's image in the work that I do? How can I do what I'm doing in a uniquely Christian way? What is, what, what's God's plan for me here? You start to ask those, those questions. But maybe some of you can't see your job as a vocation because you're enslaved to your career. If you're honest, you've kind of been approaching it for all the wrong reasons, your job, rather than an opportunity to serve and glorify God, to help others, you're really seeing it as a way to get honor for yourself, to get applause for, uh, for what you're doing. And the Bible says that was never what your job was supposed to be for. You're asking of a career what only Jesus Christ can accomplish in our lives. And so the scriptures would invite us back to him, to find our significance and our worth and our, uh, our, our sense of, of joy in him. And finally, some of you need to be more open to God giving you a new calling. You need to be more open that God might ask you to put down your nets and to follow him in a totally different direction. God can do that. And we need to be open to God, God, God's directing and steering in our lives out. We also need to be open, like Bezalel was, to taking all that he's given us and maybe using those skills and experiences and background to do something glorious in the church, glorious for God's people. Let's ask God for the help to do that. Let's ask ask God for the eyes to see our circumstances, our work, uh, the way he does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you care enough about our work to call us to it. I thank you that you've given us a a portion. You've given us an assignment. And we don't have to copy someone else's or imitate uh, some other person. But instead, we can take up the unique calling and assignment that you've set aside for us father help us not to make our work about the money the status the applause because when we make work about those things we start serving the wrong master we want to glorify you in our career so help us to find our acceptance not in our work but in Jesus Christ and finally father open our eyes to the possibilities Help us to see the opportunities for our lives the way you see them. Help us to partner with you in all that you want to do through us. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.